Okay, so let's go to King's Landing. This is where there was a lot happening at King's Landing. First of all, we can talk about Cersei's speech. I really, I thought it was well done, also predictable. Tyrion predicted it, and it went a lot like how he said it would. But it was still good, like the acting was good. And uh, Lady Gwen, give us your opening take on this. The the shot of her giving a speech to a sort of empty-ish room. It wasn't exactly a full room, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the speech was good. It was it was well delivered, and and you know we kind of knew the things that she was going to say. But I really found the whole council to be kind of sad in a pathetic way. There was so few people in that room, uh, and you know the dark kind of ominous lighting that that we have now and uh in spite of cersei's best scare tactics which she delivered in her speech and jamie's bribery of randall tarley it's really hard to see how this group is going to stand against danny's army and her dragons or or even remain loyal to the lannisters in any way once the chips really start to fall uh one thing that struck me is let's not forget when Cersei's talking about these, you know, savages coming into Westeros, she's kind of imported her own marauders in the Ironborn, who, even though they're Westerosi, a lot of the, you know, the Southerners, for sure, I'd say most of the mainland Westerosi, see them as savages and marauders. So that's Jamie's first thing he said when you, when uh, Cersei said that she's bringing them over. She, that Jamie's like, but the Ironborn? Yeah. Blech. You know? <laughs> no one really wants them around, so I don't think that she's going to win herself any points by, you know, in contrast to Danny. Yeah, at the time they both had Ironborn, uh, so it looks like that was kind of a wash, but now, <laughs> yeah. now it's pretty much all Cersei that has the Ironborn, and Danny doesn't have many of them left at all. Oh. But we'll, we'll get to that. Um, so, yeah, this is something that's important about all this. Cersei is different than book Cersei by a lot. There's so many things that are similar that it's easy to lose track of this, but show Cersei is far more capable, far more intelligent, far less emotional. Not that she isn't any of those things, but it's toned down in a lot of ways. And this is important to remember because parallel plot line here in the book is Young Griff's plot. Aegon the Thick's plot is, is who we expect to be the one holding King's Landing at this parallel point in the story in the book. So in order to make Cersei that kind of formidable ally or opponent, she has to be better than Book Cersei because Book Cersei's not up to this task. I think that's uh, that's pretty good, and they've done that, and they've made Cersei a lot more powerful. One of the ways they've done this is to make Cersei's people around her more powerful too. Jamie himself, starting with this recruitment of Randall Tarley, which is a great scene. I really like this. A lot of subtext, a lot of undertones, and it's a Big, big slam dunk for the friends in the Reach theory, which is that the Blackfire, some of the that some of the Reach people, like Tarly in particular, is going to flip to Fagon and betray the Tyrells. We have a super chat coming in from Stephen Hill. Could could that fleet that Stannis had John promised to return come in useful about now? He seemed quite adamant about that. Yeah, you know, it might be. We wonder what happened to that fleet. I really don't know if that's just. They didn't really address what happened to those ships, but yeah, they could use those pretty badly right about now. I, I wonder if they're sitting there at Eastwatch because Stannis, I don't know what else Stannis would have done with them. They might be at Eastwatch. Maybe we'll hear about that. I got a feeling the show is just going to 
try to pretend like we we don't we forgot about hmm. them. But maybe they magically hopefully. moved to White Harbor. Hey, there we go. Which is yeah. where John's going. <laughs> That'd be cool. I'd be down for that. <laughs> anyway, so this Tarly recruitment scene, though. Now, the thing in the in in the Kevin epilogue chapter, Tarly is going saying all sorts of suspicious things about saying, "Oh, we don't need to worry about the Golden Company. Oh, this young Griff Aegon guy, he's just fake. We don't need to worry about him. They're just adventurers." And that and many other factors lead people to believe that he's actually going to flip to Fagon, which this plot in the show is pretty much proof because I really don't think that the showrunners just came up with that on their own. It would be too much of a coincidence for them to figure this out by themselves and just happen to do the same thing. So I think this is a very strong confirmation of that. Maybe not 100% confirmed. Pretty strong. I really like the interaction between Randall and Jamie. He first tries to kind of bribe him with words, but Randall's not having it. But when he brings up the foreign army and how and touches on Randall's own honor, Randall responds with, he's like, hey, I'm a, this is an, I'm, I'm an honorable guy. This is an honorable house. And he's like, oh, so it's honorable to support the foreign savages. It's honorable to forget your oath to the king. And that's so cool because he's bringing up the conflicting oaths thing, right? Which is Jamie's the perfect man to speak to conflicting oaths, is he not? <laughs> so I, I thought that was really cool. What do you guys think about this scene beyond that? Did you, what, did you have any thoughts on this? sort of bribery of Randall, bringing him in via the, uh, the the offering him Warden of the South position? Well, my thought, and this, kind of, this plays into the sort of friends in the reach theory, and it plays into one of the questions that we have coming up, is has to do with Randall Tarley's uh, resentment of House mm. Tyrell, and Jamie does touch on the reasons why Tarley might have a little bit of resentment against the Tyrells when he mentions his victory over Robert Baratheon during uh, Robert's Rebellion. I agree. So, um, yeah. Also, well, actually, let me just skip ahead to this question. We have a question from Sarvesh C. Uh, Hi, Garden. How long have the Tarleys been bannermen to the Tyrells? Since the Tyrells were up-jumped to replace the Gardeners by Aegon, that's Aegon the Conqueror, is there any history or resentment between House Tarly and House Tyrell? Well, yeah, there's definitely some general resentment about the Tyrells being up-jumped because they were stewards of Highgarden, and all of a sudden they went from stewards of Highgarden to Lords of the Reach. That's kind of like House Cassell being made Lords of the North over after the Starks were extinguished. That's the kind of the rough equivalent. So you can see why that would be like, what? To some people, especially, I mean, given a guy like Randall Tarley, very proud, very all about the heritage, all about the... You know, uh, he hated wildlings. Like he was vicious against wildlings there, which is which sells Jamie's argument about. I mean, he's a huge xenophobe for huge sure. Huge xenophobe. Yeah, it works so well, and that's just. I mean, that fits really well. So I, I like they 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 really connected the dots well in this scene. A lot of times they just leave a few things out, and we're left to kind of explain it away. But I, I didn't see any holes and I saw a lot of good subtlety so I, really, I give this scene a, a really high grade. We have another related question that touches on some of the other uh, undertones and subtleties of this of what's happening in this situation. Anthony Gonzalez, shouldn't Olena have other lords in the Reach and other agents slash spies in the Reach that could tell her Randall and his heir went to meet with Cersei? I mean, we're already at a point where battle lines have been drawn. The Tyrells sent their fleet to Slaver's Bay to get Danny. We know where they side. They know Cersei killed the Lord of the Reach and his heir. So Randall going to Cersei after she killed him should be telling. 
And Olena has seen it all, She's as she herself says. She should know, for example, Robert had to fight other Stormlanders before fighting Targaryens during the Rebellion. Yes, Randall is known for being honorable, but Cersei doing what she did is a massive middle finger to the Reach. I just don't see why Olena or her Bannerman would totally trust Randall. Okay, you, you sort of... A good part of that point is that Cer- what Cersei just did is a massive middle finger to the Reach, and Jamie even points that out. Jamie says, yeah, I know you don't like my sister, but you have to choose a side. Who do you like? Like, who do you hate more? Do you hate my sister more? Or do you hate Dothraki and eunuchs and, and, you know, foreign conquerors? It's a tough call, but it's an easy call. Is kind of what he's saying. And so that argument goes both ways. Yes, uh, what Cersei did is a middle, massive middle finger to the reach. But what Olena is doing is a massive middle finger to the reach, too. She's shaming all of them. That said, I think that Olena needs to double down on, like, just think about how many reach men and women were in that sept for that, you know, Trial, lots, a lot, especially because the Tyrells and High Towers and all of them, the Red Wines, would be married into these houses. So I think there's a lot of family ties. Like anyone in the Reach should have lost someone that they're related to in some way in that conflagration. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, 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 we're not seeing Olena's political strategy here. We're not seeing her writing letters to people. I would like to see that, but I think she is. I'm assuming that she is uh, communicating with different lords and ladies. She may, we may see, I'm guessing there may not be a ton of time for it, but she may find out, you know, really soon about what just happened, (laughs) that, that Randall went to go meet with Cersei, and then she might start to wonder. But, Randall Tarly accurately paints himself as a loyalist, a guy who's not easy to corrupt. And so maybe Olena's just banking a little too heavily on that. She, they, he points out that he's known Olena from, from like his, her, his whole life. And so the counter is that she's known him his whole life. And he has always been trustworthy. He's always been a loyalist. And he said, yeah, when my queen calls, I come. That's his attitude. That's always been his attitude. He's been consistent. So maybe she's trusting in that a little too much. She may be too blinded by revenge. I can see why she should have spies pointing these these things out, but this is maybe just another show logistical overlook thing. Or it could just be that she's just so blinded by her revenge, you know? I mean, she has definitely changed. Mm-hmm. So it could be that. Okay. Let's all, let's see. So do you guys have any any thoughts on how this might play out? I wonder if it's going to be really soon. I wonder if Olin is just going to be taken out or if they're going to, like, attack Highgarden or... Yeah, it's really... Okay, yeah, what do you guys think? Radio Westeros, do you think Olena's dying this season? Hmm. Were you guys yeses, noes? I don't know. Oh, Put her man. In the week, maybe? That is tricky. That I'm is sorry, really tricky. tricky. I don't know. Can I sit um, on the fence, please? Yeah. Can, I, can I just put my butt on this yeah, fence? No. I'll sit there. I'll sit there with I'll you. I, I'll say I don't want her to die. Right. I really don't. Well, I'll sit on that fence and... <laughs> another another thing that has a lot of bearing here is that this situation has got to be a lot different in the books except that I do think there will be we all we're talking about how it seems like a slam dunk that there will be a revolt against the Tyrells mm-hmm. but it's just going to be so much messier first of all there's so many more Tyrells in the books and they have Brightwater Keep as well maybe I assuming yeah. Garland Tyrell grabs it from the Florence and Highgarden so they don't just have one seat and one army and one heir and they're, dead. They and have, they're married into the High Towers and a bunch of other families, but yeah. the High Towers, most specifically, that are pretty relevant to things. So basically, they what they tie they kind of had with one line of dialogue. Jamie's they kind of spun it. They're like, the other lead lords of the Reach will follow your lead. That's how they're addressing that here. So whatever Tarly does, they'll do. That's basically what they've sold us. In the books, no chance it will be that simple. There will be. 
you know, a big split in the reach. Some will side with Fagon. Some will stay loyal. Some some might go to Danny. I think it's going to be a big bloody mess. And it's something for George to handle, not David and Dan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to be fair, it, it would be hard to pull all that off in the show. You could do a whole, that would take like a whole season to handle all the things that they could handle in this, in this bit. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to Randall's important question, which was, how are you going to deal with the dragons? And Kyburn's all, oh, I got this handled, bro. Mm-hmm. You know, don't worry. Kyburn is so much more formidable <laughs> in the show, it seems. Uh, Lady Gwen, what do you think about this? Awesome shot, huh? Those skulls and everything? Oh, it's definitely very cool. And one thing I, I thought of since we were getting a lot of these Cersei and kind of Tyrion dynamics, Cersei's story about Robert moving those skulls down into the cellars is actually taken pretty much directly from a Tyrion point of view um, in the Game of Thrones where he's remembering seeing those dragon skulls. And uh, I think Yoke Boy has the quote, but incidentally, before he reads that, the fact that she also says that Robert used to bring his whores down there is actually, I'm pretty sure, is just a reference to Tyrion in the books who brings Shay down there. I don't think we see any other whores in the books down in the dragon skulls. No, yeah, I agree. I don't think we do. Okay, so I will read the... The quote from the Tyrion POV, there were 19 skulls. The oldest was more than 3,000 years old. The youngest, a mere century and a half. The most recent were also the smallest, a matched pair no bigger than a mastiff's skull. And oddly misshapen, all that remained of the last two hatchlings born on Dragonstone. They were the last of the Targaryen dragons, perhaps the last dragons anywhere, and they had not lived very long. From there, the skulls ranged upward in size to the three great monsters of song and story, the dragons that Aegon Targaryen and his sisters had unleashed on the Seven Kingdoms of old. The singers had given them the names of gods, Beleriand, Meraxis, and Vega. Yeah, such a good one. This is one of the things, not only was the scene beautiful and awe-inspiring, but it was filled with history, so you know we're all about that. Um, let's take a look at the weapon itself first. We have, Shay's going to pull that up for us. This is, this is usually referred to as a scorpion, I believe. Now, what's cool is this is also straight from A Song of Ice and Fire History. The question here from Sarvesh is, is Kyburn Scorpion a nod to the scorpion used to kill Meraxes at Hellhold? It's kind of ironic that an Uller, Ilaria Sand, is headed to King's Landing now. Mm-hmm. Cool of catch. the Ullers hold Hellhold. Yes, the Ullers, podcast. yeah, that's right. Hellhold's their castle, so... That's where Meraxes was killed. Well, you're, you and I are on the same page here, Sarvesh. When I published at 7 o'clock this morning our show-only review, we included images because we can do that on our podcast now. If you download the ACAST player, you get to see the images that we associate with the podcast. It's pretty cool to be able to see images on an audio-only podcast. I wrote a caption. I wrote, this sort of thing is what killed Meraxes. So, yeah, I think we're actually, we're definitely on the same page, and I think it's 100% accurate. I think that's really cool. And it's also true that these are a deadly weapon in terms of book cannon against dragons. And you can see why. That's a big old metal bolt that has a lot of force behind it. Imagine like a whole lot of those things, right? Like a, a battery of them, you know? It could really take... You could see it taking down a dragon. But there's some more history here. It's not the only dragon probably taken down by such a weapon. At the Battle of the Gullet, which is happened during the Dance of the Dragons, Jacaris, Prince 
of the Iron Throne, who was Rhaenyra's son, was killed riding his dragon, Vermax. Vermax, there are many tales told about what brought Vermax down. One of those versions of that tale is a bolt like this. Also, Jacarys' younger brother, Aegon, who was called, at the time called Aegon the Younger, his dragon, Stormcloud, was killed during this engagement. Killed largely by bolts and scorpion arrows, just like, a lot like this one. That Aegon the Younger became Aegon the Third in the long run, a.k.a. Aegon the Third, the dragon bane, whose tiny skull we see in this image here. Well, his that's not skull. his skull. Yeah. <laughs> it was the skull of the last dragon that died during his reign. He died in 157. This dragon died in 153. And that is a wonderful segue through all this. Aegon the Third's connection to all this is really cool. So you can see why I just love the scene so much, because there's so much history in it. Now... This is a good time to mention George's recent announcement about Fire and Blood. Fire and Blood is a is a basically another history book that's kind of a maybe Germillion. Yeah, like the Silmarillion, but the Germillion. <laughs> so it's a it's an in-world history book. It's basically most of it is going to be stuff about Targaryen history that didn't make it into the world of Ice and Fire. Most of it was written already. George isn't putting a ton of time into this. I'm sure it's not just a Snap and he's done. Yeah, it was mostly stuff about the Targaryens that got cut from World of Ice and Fire, yeah, as I know, so because I asked him myself, I said, where's that Dornish material and the SS material? And he said, no, it was just Targaryen stuff that got cut. All, we, we got all that good SS material. And the thing about this book, too, is that Fire and Blood, he's expanded it. Not only the biggest news on it is that it's instead of, he, he originally said it won't come out until after all these Song of Ice and Fire books are done. Now it might come out as soon as next year. And it's being divided into two books, Fire and Blood Part 1, Fire and Blood Part 2. And Fire and Blood Part 1 is split at the point of Aegon III's regency ending. So it fits here beautifully with this scene. I'm telling you, I'm disappointed about us getting Fire and Blood before A Song of Ice and Fire finishes. Not for the reasons I think most people are and that they want the story to be finished. Mm -hmm. But because I want him to be able to go all out with Fire and Blood. Uh, and I just don't think he'll be able to. Maybe there'll be more of it in the second Yeah, I want, book, I want yeah. like an actual huge compendium with everything in it. Yeah. That's what I want. Getting back to the scene itself, yeah, like that's this really cool. I can't wait for Fire and Blood, by the way. And it's and there's also a, an excerpt from it is coming out at the end of the year called Sons of the Dragon, and that's going to contain the stories of Aenys and Megor, and we will certainly be covering the heck out of that. Radio Westeros has some Sons of the Dragon stuff, right? Yes, indeed. In our uh... fourth episode, I believe. If if you want to hear some Sons of the Dragon, then check out Radio Westeros episode four. It, it was a, a report from. World Con a few years ago when he when he read the uh, a large excerpt from that story. Very true. Good job, guys. Yeah, I was. You guys were on point there, capturing that for us. <laughs> mm -hmm. So this, the question uh, I asked earlier is: Kyburn going to be this formidable in the books? Um, maybe not because Cersei won't be as formidable. But, but do you guys have any other takes? Do you? Uh, what do you think about Kyber? Now you're a Kyburn fan, Matt, or Yoke Boy, rather. <laughs> What's, uh, what do you have to say about this? Oh, well, in the TV show, at least. <laughs> I, I think that you need Kyburn at the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, he's made Robert strong. He's, blow, he's supplied the ammunition to blow up an entire sept. 
And now he seemingly invented this scorpion device. <laughs> um, he is the MVP on military tactics. Yeah, Cersei. They need him at the wall. He'd probably take the others out, the White Walkers out, yeah. in in a, f- a few hours, I think. Wildfire. Yeah, the wildfire thing. Yeah, he, wildfire against white seems like that might should be tried. <laughs> Someone should think of that. It's not like there's a bunch of trees around <laughs> to catch fire and burn the whole countryside, but uh, maybe that's worthwhile. <laughs> A couple of questions about this scene. We have a question from David Stead and others. A lot of people are asking about this. Is this foreshadowing a dragon's death? And if so, does that mean, does that kind of take care of the dragon rider issue a little bit by maybe making it so that there's only two dragons to ride, especially if one is killed before it gets a rider? Especially if the show doesn't want to de- dive into either young Griff or Tyrion or or anyone else getting a dragon or the horn or any of all there's all these elements that ha- that give us our potential third head of the dragon but the show hasn't really laid the groundwork for any of those yeah that's a good point what do you guys think any any uh, thoughts on potential dragon deaths i do think we'll see a dragon death yeah i don't see the point of introducing this scorpion thing if it's just going to fire into thin air mm-hmm. I, I i think that it, that it would give some balance to you know, Danny having this huge army and then, then she's got to take the others. And isn't it more of a story if she's depleted and she's in a more mm. of a desperate state when she actually needs to face the real enemy? Mm. Isn't isn't that more of a, you know, the George R. R. Martin style? She'll certainly feel less invincible if one dragon gets killed. She'll be less likely to commit the other two, I, I would imagine. Where does that put us with people's theories about an ice dragon this season? Mm, I go, I, yeah, it could be a, a white dragon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a white dragon. Because yeah. just the idea that if it's killed down south in some sort of field of fire, Lannister, you know, fight, mm. I don't know how that dragon gets brought back to life as a white in particular. Whereas if it dies up north, I could see it being brought back. But I don't really see this this scorpion being used up there. So I don't know if they're at odds or if it's going to get pared down really uh, until only Daenerys actually has a dragon. I don't know. Elizabeth Means Lightbringer says, Who else is fully outraged at that treatment of Balerian skull? Yeah, seriously. That's, <laughs> that is an outrage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I totally agree. Lord James Saunders, Lord of the Chicken Dance, suggests maybe that Danny's dragons, pulling up page from history here, will die in order of their respective counterparts from Aegon's conquest. Maybe, you know, the equivalent of Meraxes goes first, and the equivalent of Aegar, and then, you know, maybe Balerion slash Drogon lives. dies later or lives. I could see that, yeah. By the way, going back to that quote, one of that that, that Yoke Boy read, one of the dragon skulls is 3,000 years old, it says. Like, whoa. That means they brought the skull with them before the doom and, you know, put it in the throne room when they conquered, uh, took the iron, or made the iron throne and just, yeah. <laughs> Definitely don't destroy that skull. 3,000 years old. Please keep that. That's a. That's I'm skeptic. I don't think it's 3,000 years old. <laughs> By the way, slight difference in book show canon here. The dragon bones in the show are white. In the books, yeah. they are black. Dragonborn yeah, is yeah, black. Great, great in the show, point. In the books. Right. One thing yeah, I was thinking about point. there is, uh, Kyburn ha- doesn't have dragon hide. Doesn't have dragon scales to practice on. And so I'm wondering if he's how much he took that into account. How strong the hide mm-hmm. is compared to the bone of a skull that's been sitting there for hundreds of years. You know what I mean? That's a good point. They can still wreak havoc on their wings, though. Yeah, case, their no wings, and of course, an eye—a good place to eye shot or anything like that. That is but what I think. The, I yeah. think the hide. Will will cause them issues. 
Yeah, that's that's entirely possible. And apparently, according to book canon, the older the dragon, the tougher the hide scales. So in this case, at least none of the dragons are that old, so that at least kind of would fit. All right, we should move on to the Citadel. Let's do that. We have the Citadel and the sea battle to cover still, and we're getting close to two hours already, so yeah. let's keep moving. Citadel is so disgusting. I don't understand how they made it so much more gross than just about anywhere Everyone else. Everyone keeps like the... making fun of me for saying I want to live at the Citadel now because it's all just gross. It's worse than the Dreadfort, man. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a little nod to uh, to Pylos there. Archmaester Pylos' book of diseases of Maester Pylos on Dragonstone is the one who replaces Cresson. So that's that's a sort of on point there. Mm-hmm. There's just been a lot of people with that name that have been maesters. <laughs> Pylos you, is your name's name. that when you're born and like, oh, I guess he's a maester. <laughs> <laughs> so we we have a cool image here. This book of Lannister lineage. At first, this book just kind of flew by. I didn't think this mattered. I was like, yeah, well, it's just a cool little shot. It's a little Easter egg for people. But two people brought a question up here. We have our our good friend Rudolph, Lord Baltimore of House <laughs> Edwards. Also sworn to the get down. Also sworn to the get down. That's true. And Hey Mahel, Mint Captain of the Whispering Children, both are wondering about this book and whether it there's anything to do with Lannister lineage regarding this book. Any sort of suspicions we might should have about some Tyrion Targaryen action? Maybe that's the point of this book being pulled out. I didn't have any theories on it I until someone brought that up. Rock. Maybe something about Castle Rock about that's just what getting it makes inside me think it. Of, that the fact that they're going to take Castle Rock, but it's related to that. I don't know. Hmm. That's interesting. It seems like Grey Worm's already on his way there. I yeah, I, I, no, I don't think it'll be relevant. Okay. That's just what it made me think of. Maybe they can ex- I don't think any of this information is going to be relevant okay. to anything in the future. I think it was just that that's one of the books that uh, Ebros was pulling out because he's doing a study of the wars, so he needed to have his histories of House Lannister, a crucial part of this wars of the Five Kings. Hmm. He needed that book out. Okay, okay. I would have expected him to also be pulling out books on Tyrell and Baratheon and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so book naming. This was cool. It was a nice little in-world nod to their in-world historians. And With that one awful name that they have, that the one that wrote this book, The History of House <laughs> Lannister, it's like Kavath Valel. It's like this weird fantasy name. You can almost see it down there. It's like got an apostrophe in it. It's not a Westerosi name at all. It's pretty weird. <laughs> it wasn't Kafifi, was it? <laughs> yeah, Kafifi. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, so I thought there were there's different possibilities here. Maybe I I felt like this was the the name that's going to come out of this is War of the Five Kings because it's specifically referring to the wars that follow Robert's death. Uh, but there's also the possibility that he's talking about the Song of Ice and Fire. Certainly, a lot of people predict the end of the series will be either Bran, you know, having the final chapter, or Sam. Those are the two most popular like theories. And if and if it's Sam, it's him sitting down to like write. Everything that happened, his history of it, and he could call it a song of ice and fire. So that both those things work uh, as far as theories. That's why he for was able future. to write the fat pink mass scene so vividly, <laughs> in particular. And, but of course, the next, uh, of course, there's um, this this whole idea of descriptive chapter titles and book titles and all that reminds us. Our friend Azad from Twitter mentioned that this reminded him of the descriptive chapter titles that George added for the later mm-hmm. books. Which is a cool cat and and a cool yeah. catch. Uh, George himself was weighed in on this. He was asked about those chapters, and he said that there's a method to his madness with regards to those namings, but he won't elaborate on that. So, yeah, I don't know. But that's, yeah, that's they a generally cool do catch. have a significance, you know, to what the character's going through and to their actual identity. There, and just eh, this character is not going to have their name listed. 
<laughs> Sometimes it's, I think, just to keep the secret going, obviously, as well. It might be, yeah. But yeah, I loved Hot Pie referring to the Battle of the Bastards. Right? That was really cool, having an in the in-world name be that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And, but, and it fits, because everyone's got colorful names for each other. In Song of Ice and Fire, like, around Westeros, everyone's got a nickname. So having battles with nicknames is right in line with that. Mm-hmm. Lady Gwen, tell us what you think about Sam and Jorah and Grayscale. Well, you know, this is a meeting I'd really love to see on page um, since Jorah's dying words to Sam were to ask him to tell Jorah to take the black. And I would love to see that happen. And, you know, you reference, of course, I was victim of the same sort of confusion. I couldn't remember. I had to go really dig deep to figure out if that had happened in the TV show or if I was, you know, deluding myself. So, no, of course it didn't. (laughs) Book only. (laughs) Um, So I'll keep that wish for the books. But on screen, I kind of wish I hadn't seen this. (laughs) It was disgusting. It was so gross. (laughs) It was so gross. It was so gross. And that cut to the, you know, after the, the cut from the cut, to the, to the soup was that was that was even that was worse than the poop soup loop from last <laughs> week. I don't know. Yeah, uh, tell you, as I was pie as honor. Oh, <laughs> good yeah, one, Gregor yeah. the Toasty. I was looking at that picture of the pie, you know, putting it for our show only episode yesterday, and I was like so conflicted because I kept thinking of the grayscale thing, and then I would look at the crust and kind of forget what I was being reminded of. I just went back and forth. It was this weird roller coaster of emotion where I was like, just... this pie looks really good, but oh, what am I thinking about? Why am I thinking of this pie this way? Uh, the... I don't know. I'm not going to be able to eat a pie for a while, at least not a cream pie. The puns are blowing up in the chat room right now. Yeah. Someone's all about the crow's pie. We got the words of pie garden as yeah. pie is honor. I like the dread. I like the dread tort. The dread tort. The dread tort. <laughs> Very fitting. Very fitting with the virtual flame oh, that was going on there. You all are oh. right up my alley with these jokes. Oh, so many. <laughs> okay, so as far as the grayscale plot itself, though, comparing this to the, sh- the books is a little tricky because it's a totally different character with with grayscale, and Connington is not a. You know, a beloved character, not that George necessarily cares who we love and don't as far as who he's going to kill, but it does seem like this is a distillation of what's going to happen in the books. Like, it might just, it's it's starting to feel like there's not going to be any sort of grayscale outbreak in the show. It's just going to be, this is all about Sam, who was John's right-hand man, and Jorah, who is Daenerys's very trusted advisor at this point. This is a, a connection point between for for John and Daenerys. Um, I think it's a connection point for them, but I also think it's showing us the importance of Dragonglass even more. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. If if we need, I mean, I'm just I'm currently suggesting that there won't be a grayscale outbreak in Westeros in the show. I think there will be in the books. If I'm wrong and there is some sort of outbreak in the show, like Sam gets it or something, then you have they to could eat create a grayscale a, pie. <laughs> then we'd have the grayscale pie thing. Then we could have this sort of uh, resource scarcity. They really need grayscale. They really need obsidian in the north, and they really need it to fight grayscale. So that would can, that would be interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But the, I don't know if they have time for that. But in the show, like I mean, in the book, they could do that. It seems like Connington is sort of heralding a, a grayscale outbreak of some kind, and. If obsidian is the cure in the books as well, which is another thing that we're, we can't be sure of at all, then this sort of scarcity issue of it needed, it's needed badly in the north, it's also needed badly in the south, could be a thing. Any takes on that? Am I am I reaching here? Yeah, Radio Westeros, you guys definitely are on team. There's going to be a grayscale epidemic, an outbreak in the books, right? 
I'm not sure. I I wouldn't like to commit. No, really, I'm not. (laughs) No. There's that fence again. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I don't like to, you know, put my chips down when I'm not not really of a strong opinion. I I think it could easily pass, and you know, be confined to um, John Connington's story, using it to accelerate his invasion and rush things so it, that could be its purpose but as Aziz says it, it could be an ep- he could be patient zero couldn't he yeah and here's the thing I forgot to mention as we know the historical tidbits George gives us are really important a lot of times for predicting the future of a song of ice and fire there's a really important anecdote it's both in the world of ice and fire and in the main of song of ice and fire books which is the grayscale outbreak in old town mm-hmm. so that is part of what's fueling my thoughts on this, is that it's it's been mentioned a few times, and you know how I feel about things being mentioned multiple times by George in multiple places mm-hmm. that... Yeah. That I'd say... I, I, I say this a lot. I'm like, I don't theorize about things, and I'm not down with theories, but that's one, I guess, is a theory, technically, that I'm just like, yeah, that's going to happen. Mm. I just feel really strongly that it's... I, I don't feel strongly that it will be Old Town, for sure, or I think it could be the Stormlands area, I think it could be King's Landing, and I think it could be up north, you know, near nearer to Shireen. So I'm not so set on the location. I think there could be multiple for all we know. But I think it's going to get real, I was going to say dark, but real gray, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I scale what you did there. A question from Amber Clark, who found us through Game of Bones. Well, thanks, Game of Bones. She asks, is Obsidian a part of the creation for Valyrian Steel? I I certainly have held this idea for a long time. I believe, Radio Westeros, you guys have thought about this as well. Do you guys have a take on that? Yeah. I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been a long time, man. We we have got an episode about this, but wow, it was like three years well, ago. Well, I can speak Lady to Gwyn. it because I just listened to it. <laughs> nice. Um, I gave a talk this weekend that this episode was relevant to, so I re-listened to it. And yeah, we talked about Obsidian actually being part of the creation of Dragonsteel, which we were holding was slightly different from Valyrian Steel, given sort of timelines and stuff, in, in spite of what the show may have shown us. We do think there's probably a little bit of a difference, um, and we. Thought... But yes, it's possible, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Like if you just yeah. compare the properties yeah. of the two, right? You've got regular steel is heavy, uh, and obsidian is really light and brittle and sharp. So it's like, well, you get the lightness of obsidian and the and the, the durability of steel and the sharpness of obsidian. It just it seems to fit. And you have the mm-hmm. the actual inspiration for Valyrian steel. Damascus steel is like folded over and over in itself and mm-hmm. that you could easily have obsidian be part of that process in the folding mm-hmm. process. It is interesting how light, like as in light in color, Valyrian steel is when you contrast it to the color of obsidian. But we even have different colors of obsidian. And, but obsidian, yeah, and obsidian is generally dark. Like you said, some of the green and purple obsidian, but most of it's black. And Valyrian steel is darker. It's darker. It's like black, dark gray, smoky gray, which also fits really well with the idea that that steel and obsidian have been combined. So really, really like this idea. I've been a fan of it for a long time. Apparently you guys have been too, even though Yoke Boy couldn't quite remember it all. (laughs) No, it's just, it's headcanon. It's okay, Yoke Boy. You got to chat that you're cute. There you go. That makes up for it. Hey, guys, it's one o'clock here. So remember that. (laughs) I'm usually in bed at like nine o'clock, like reading a book. Uh. And here I am, you know, 
taking one for the team. That's right. Thank you for that, by the way. You're even when you're no problem. Even when you're knackered, you can talk Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones, right? Here. Oh yeah, I do it my sleep. Using my British yeah. lingo there. I love the word knackered. Very good. Very good. <laughs> so here's another question from a couple people: Jane Carmack and Danny the Dreamy, and some others are wondering about. If Dragonglass is going to have the same importance in the books, it seems like it's a bit too good to be true. Will there be a cure for Grayscale in the books? I definitely agree that it seems like it's maybe being used as a bit too much of a cure-all, kind of like how Valyrian Steel is being overused a little in the show in place of maybe some of these other things like Dawn and and, and maybe the Obsidian Blades, etc. Unless, you know, there's more to that. But yeah, I do think maybe it's there. This is the law of conservation of, of mysterious magical substances. Yeah, of magic, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I think that that's true. Will they cure Grayscale in the books? I think so. I think that's going to have to happen. It's, Grayscale's been brought up in so many places. It's been brought up north of the wall. Like, Wildlings mm. weigh in on Val is chill about everything. She's mm. chill about going into the north alone. She's chill about, mm. she laughs at Selyse in front to her face, you know? Mm. But she freaks out about Grayscale that's dormant in a child. So uh, that says a lot to me. And we end the show, we borrowed that by giving those lines to Gilly. So I, I really, that's funny, by the way. Sam's here working directly on a body of grayscale. Mm-hmm. And Gilly hates that. She's going to be like, you did what? You, what? you touched him? Are you, you crazy? No, you're <laughs> Don't touch me. You're wearing a, you're wearing, you're, you're putting Jimmy hat on for now. And I'm not getting the grayscale. He's coming home to her. She's like, how was, how was work today, honey? And he's like, five. Nothing new. Yeah, nothing new. Didn't I didn't slice a whole several stone scabs off of a, a human being. <laughs> there's there's going to be no fat pink mast that no, that evening, so, is so there? Fat gray mast. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Okay, let us move past the most disgusting location in Westeros to Euron. Somehow that's an upper... Is, are we really improving oh, our outlook here? Yeah, imagine <laughs> if you told us before the season that you'll be moving to... I don't know, lighter, less gross subjects by talking about Yura. <laughs> yes, here we only have mutilation and death and burning. Yeah. That's nothing. <laughs> uh, but before we get to Euron, we, we have this, you know, as people are calling it, Yalaria scene with yeah. Yara and Ilaria. And a scene that reminds us that only Tyene is Ilaria's daughter. What with all of those mama lines that they were saying, it was just like so over the top, heavy handed, yeah. like making fun of her, just... It was a good reminder, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, people needed to be reminded, but... I even forgot that... that I I (laughs) was thinking show Ilaria is the mother of all of them. I forgot about that. (laughs) But that scene, I don't know, uh, (laughs) another poor Sand Snake scene with them just, like, picking at each other and, like, saying they're going to kill each other and just having this conflict. I'm like, I guess some sisters are like that, but not these sisters. Like, there's meant to be a a pretty good unit. Bad dialogue all the way to the end for them. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I kind of cringed through the Sand Snake scene. It's like, is, is that the depth of their character? They just keep looping this conversation about who they're going to kill. <laughs> and then, you know, it was followed up with Ilaria and the kind of foreign invasion. And I was like, oh, my word. Dawn has been really cursed in this show. Yeah. They can't even get a few good lines together. Which we should keep in mind as we analyze what's going to ha- what happens here. Because it seems like the showrunners can't be ignorant of how much the fandom in general hated how they handled Dorn. So yeah. I think they may be some of the some of the elements yeah. to this scene kind they, of indicate that they're just ready to well yeah we screwed up let's just get let's just push all this off to the side we can't fix it yeah. let's just 
<laughs> I, yeah, they'll they say that they're not influenced, but I think we all know that they very clearly were. And even like Jessica Henwick, who plays Nymeria Sand, and I think Keisha Castle Hughes, who plays Obara, I think it was her. But definitely Jessica Henwick had some a few interviews where she was like talking about how she thought she was going to have a pretty major role going forward in the show. And then she said it's like changed her opinion, you know, a, a few interviews later where she was saying that it's really brutal. It's really over the top. And mm. I, I mean, that got to suck, especially because a lot of those actresses who played the sand snakes actually read the books and they know what they're missing out on and like, <laughs> like damn it. have been bitterly <laughs> disappointed by this. Like I, I just feel so bad for every actor who thought they were getting a certain part because of a, the book and, didn't really yep. really disappointing but hey at least jessica henwick is in star wars and marvel and all that so yeah she's, she's doing okay she's doing fine yeah, yeah. <laughs> and obara's got like an emmy yeah i mean that... an oscar an oscar not an emmy an yeah oscar. she can be like y'all can so, complain about my character yeah. all you want scoreboard yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they got an awesome death scene at least like it's got to be a little it's tricky and death, fun yeah. to like see yourself get strangled by your own weapons yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gotta be fun. <laughs> so, funny anecdote here. There's a great... I highly recommend the Inside Game of Thrones Battling the Silence feature. It's a nine-minute video on how they made this scene. It's really great. Like, you see these ships, like, sitting on dry land with in front of a huge green screen. And it really just gives you an appreciation for how hard the, this was to make. Like, you can complain about some of the aspects of the logistics of the scene. But first of all, I don't really care because the show does this stuff all the time with logistics... So I just don't care anymore. I'm I'm jaded on the show's logistics stuff. I don't it just we don't need to talk about it. Let's talk about the stuff that, you know, actually affects the plot. I really like just the notion of how this attack began. Poor Quentin, our good friend Poor Quentin, he he writes for Deadspin now, so definitely check him out. He mentions that the way Euron and his ship enters this scene is kind of how Euron himself enters the narrative. Sudden, surprising, shocking, overpowering. That's awesome. So good job. And we all saw it coming, obviously. Once Danny's like, once Tyrion's like, you guys get in this ship and go there. You're like, oh, okay, well, that's that. (laughs) All of you unimportant characters, go here. (laughs) All of y'all get in one ship and go down. Well, it wasn't just one ship, of course, but they were all together. They were all on one ship, all of them. Really (laughs) foolishly. I don't know if they would have helped them, but I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And so there's... Uh, there's a lot of a lot to unpack in the scene. First of all, the night attack was kind of cool. It, it's it it, it allows it makes sure that there's no dragons involved. The dragons can't tell friend from foe. There's like uh, what's happening? I don't know. Um, of course we had poor Quentin, whom I just mentioned as a guest for our Euron episode. And here's a great little book nod. Shea has got an awesome image. First of all, Pilu Asbeck is clearly good at playing the berserker type he was basically victorian this whole scene until the final moment when he's captured asha yara he had his full plate armor which you can see the eye there's the crow's eye in the center of his breastplate so cool this little black stuff going around it like feathers almost. yes yes and but he's also got his a big axe which is more in line with victorian even the axe is really ornate and cool i call it the Kraxen. and <laughs> He jumps, he, the way he comes down on that Corvus, the, the drawbridge thing, which we're going to pull up a shot of in a minute, that's also very much like Victorian. Because in the Victorian Reaver chapter, he jumps overboard, jumps to the other ship first, and is basically does, come at me, just like, who dares to fight me? And then his men kind of come in behind him. And he's terrifying. 
And Euron is terrifying. I mean, he's got this wild look in his eyes. He's ready to kill. He's, you know, fearless. Our, our co-writer Joe Buckley points out that because, and we pointed out the same thing, because Euron doesn't have any of his magical aspects like he has in the show, they got to make up for that. So they give him better technology, like these flamethrower things, and like a much bigger ship, although actually the bigger ship is part of the Iron Fleet in the books as well. Hmm. That's, uh, Silence is much, much larger than Yara's ship here. And the new Iron Fleet, the one Victorian controls that Balon built, was specifically built to deal with larger ships. The regular long ships of the, of the general population of the Ironborn are kind of like the Viking long ships from history. But the Iron Fleet is a cut above. They're big. They have actual large warships. And so that's what we saw here. Silence is one of those large warships instead of, you know, uh, some little long ship type thing. Also, the bear, I'm, I've been talking for a minute here. Do you yeah. guys want to weigh in on yeah. any of this? I'm just kind of going off. I just love this scene so much and all the, the book nods. Make uh, sure we've got an image here you wanted to have while they Ooh. think if, they, uh-huh. if there's anything they wanted to say. But um, there's an image here uh, that Aziz had me grab. It was very hard of this Euron's crew member with this uh, fist spike thing that he uses to pummel someone's face, which is pretty brutal. It's like, uh, I don't know, it's, he's got it going up his arm, too, so he could really get them with it. Pretty giving badass. Jamie an idea. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's exactly the sort of thing I've, thought, I've long thought that Jamie needs to do. He might not think it's honorable or anything like that, but he needs to attach some stuff to that hand that is actually useful. I, 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 don't get me started on it, basically. But you, you did bring up an interesting point um, when you were when you had me grab this image of the crew in that they missed a huge, uh, huge uh, opportunity in Game of Thrones to have some more diversity in their show because Euron's crew in the books is actually, you know, an amalgamation of yes. people. It's supposed to be multiracial, yeah. multi-ethic, and these were all white dudes, which is, you know, it's yeah. just kind of, we're kind of used to that, but that doesn't mean we should just accept it. It's fair to call, to, to criticize that. Yeah, you can criticize It doesn't things. ruin the scene for me. It's not, it doesn't ruin the show. It's just a, it's a mm-hmm. negative aspect that I think that could have been really easy to fix. For one thing, these guys don't even have lines. I mean, yeah. they're, Euron's crew, they're silent. They're, the one, Laria says, hey, make it, you know, do it quickly, and they're like, he just shakes his head, which is cool because it's like, oh, they don't have tongues. Like, it kind of reminded me of that. But again, they were just, there should have been some, like, variety of types there. That would have been nice. So, But yeah, I don't know if, that, if you guys had any thoughts on that. There's not a whole lot to say about this fighting scene until we actually get to our talk about Theon's reaction to it, which we'll get to in a second. Yeah. But we'll give you an yeah. opportunity if there's anything now. Yeah, any, any other takes on this part? Or should we move on to the, uh, the, the, the aftermath though. or the, the, the big... Oh, the drawbridge. Here is the huge Here. claw thing. It's a corvus. I called it a corvus in the show only review, which is a Roman, which is a Roman invention. This... Is exactly what they called it in the yeah. behind-the-scenes thing. So I was like, hey, that's cool. Yeah, so watch that video. This is from that. It was an easier shot for me to grab than the one in the video because we could actually see this, like, kraken claw tentacle-y thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was really funny to watch the video to see him with the green screen come down all... With his, ah, you know, just, man, so cool. <laughs> so, yeah, just so much awesome in there. <laughs> So, yeah, but there's also some amazing it's it's hard for a, an action scene to include great acting, especially when you have sand snakes with their bad dialogue. It's not their fault. Yeah, Corvus is Latin for crow. Good call there, Arrow That is accurate. You're on crow's eye. <laughs> yeah, crow's eye fix. Yeah, hey, nice connect. I didn't even catch that part. I didn't even make that connection. It's really obvious. Nice, nice. 
So, okay, let's talk about the Sand Snakes. The Sand Snakes, the two dead ones on the prow. That was of Yara's ship, not not Silence. Here that was, he Here's left a them there. Of them, yeah, in case have... you didn't see this enough, I don't know. So that's Obara <laughs> impaled by her own, or sorry, uh, yeah. Obara impaled by her own spears and Nymeria hanging by her own whip. Of course, you got it once you remove. And that's on the prow of, you know, Yara's ship. That's how you not... can tell because you can see it's on fire it's there. On it's fire, clearly yeah. not. Aziz silence. misspoke in our previous episode and called it silent. Yeah. That isn't what he meant. He just misspoke. Yeah. To everyone who commented about that. <laughs> and so Tyene and Ilaria are captured and so is Yara. Now, Yara's fate might be different. We got people predicting, like we did, we predicted the same thing, that maybe she'll get the Phalia Flowers treatment. Maybe her tongue will be cut out and she'll be put on Euron's prow. I really hope not. I also really worry That's about... That's really not fitting for Yara, considering she's, you know, pan or bi. Yeah. Her tongue cut out. No. That's true. <laughs> I'm sorry, and I... I couldn't resist. <laughs> <laughs> and I really can't help but... M- m- worry that they'll try to do some sexual violence stuff since that's Euron's book arc with his abusing his brothers. Maybe they'll... uncle and and niece yeah. action. Yeah, I don't know. please don't do that show. But yeah. you know, oh please don't. Yeah, do please that. don't do that show. Alario <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and Alaria yeah. and Yara are captured together as well. Yeah. Mm. Do you think there's any book implication here? I think it's hard to trace this all together. It's hard to f- find Euron dealing with the Sand Snakes at all. But it's not out of the question that Euron and Cersei could have a team up in, in the show, in the books. And if so, the Sand Snakes are probably going to do similar things regarding the Lannister children. They are probably going to target them. They are probably going to kill them. And that would put them mm-hmm. clearly in Cersei's, uh, you know, sights. So, I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think there's any chance that something like this happens in the books, or is it just total show invention here? I, I think it. I think it's invention. I think that you know they've cut a lot of corners, and then you get to this thing where you know I don't think these characters will meet the Sun Snakes and Euron. No, don't think so. I, I think it's. I, I don't know. I'd say I'm uh, more positive than negative, but pretty fifty-fifty, pretty ambivalent on the whole the matter. But the, the fact is that. Sand snakes are going to King's Landing. They're going to do some stuff to Cersei. So some of that stuff will happen. Whether Cersei gets revenge on them without Euron being involved is possible as well. But I I, all, I had thought that it was very possible that Euron would have some connection with Cersei for a while after that um, prophecy, after that vision from the Forsaken chapter. It was had more... Um, you know, a weight behind it, even though I still thought it was unlikely, but the sh- this is a case for me where the show is slightly influencing me. Tiny, tiny bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It's hard to not try to make those connections, but I agree it's difficult to find them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've Here's an interesting possibility for a book to show crossover that's potentially interesting. What if Cersei gives Ilaria and Tyene the Brandon and Rickard treatment, sort of? I kind of don't think so, because I think this is new Cersei, and new Cersei cares more about politics. She's very ruthless, and she's less about revenge. She's already kind of distanced herself from her own children. She's sort of trying to compartmentalize and just not deal with the trauma by pushing past it. And she might care more about just making sure the Dornish armies are either on her side or not against her, at the very least. And if she just kills them both off, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So maybe... She murders Tyene in front of Ilaria, makes her watch, and keeps Ilaria as hostage to keep Dorne in line. Or, I, I just wanted to say that I know that we just just forget about logistics when it comes to Dorne, but like, 
Tyene should be the prize here, not Alaria. <laughs> Tyene should be the one that could actually be an heir to Dorne because she's Oberyn's daughter. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think they're going to care about any of that. But like they seem to already have dealt with that by Alaria's in charge. They've already kind of yeah. Kind of I, although I still pooch. wonder is Alaria in charge because she's the daughter. I mean, the mother of Tyene, who you know actually has some sort of claim on it. She's the only one who has a real claim on it now that the other Sand Snakes are dead. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think Tyene's a pretty good. You know, bargaining chip and pawn. I, I really don't think the show is going to be logical about this, though. <laughs> Joe Buckley suggests that maybe Tyene or Alaria will get uh, shot through by the Scorpion Bolt, which would be a callback to Joffrey and his crossbow um, yeah. gaming. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Tyene should ask for a trial by combat and face Robert Strong. <laughs> she did mention, like, she I want to fight the mountain. Maybe that's... Yeah. Where this is going, that there, he's, no, except that Yunella's going to get another, uh, going to get a companion. In she's going to fight Braun. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting crossover. Is Braun going to be involved in this at any point? He's going to see this and be like, "Oh no!" Or is, we had we had oh, one no. theory that someone's going to that Braun's going to help Tyene escape. <laughs> Seems pretty <laughs> unlikely, but yeah. I like the thought. <laughs> <laughs> We are definitely running out of time, so if you have a burning question, oh, get it in there I uh, love with Tyene. Super Chat. Well, here Hashtag we go. Hashtag save the bad pussy. <laughs> no question, chat. but thanks, Mike, for the yeah. <laughs> for the comment. <laughs> if yeah. Uh, yeah, if you miss it before Super Chat, is works just like that. You see it up there on the screen. It'll hold that comment there for a while, so make sure we see it. Um, we so here's a big question though. Like this is the gift, right? This is the gift that Euron meant. Not just destroying the Iron Fleet, but capturing the murderers of Cersei's daughter, or yeah, the murderers of Cersei's daughter. So is Cersei going to marry Euron now? <laughs> is that going to happen? Any thoughts? Why not? I don't Why know. Not? I don't know. My thought is that. Reading the episode description for next week might give you a clue, but I don't want to say it in this episode because it's... Yeah. Uh, we're going to discuss that, by the way, in our Saturday stream. That ep- that descri- episode description is going to be part of our description. I want to say also, without saying exactly what it is, that I think that line is ambiguous. I, yeah. could re- I think you can read it either way, which okay. is what makes it interesting. Cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. No, <Whew>. said. <laughs> Doesn't look good for Ilaria and Tyene in any case. So I think the bottom line is no matter what happens to either of them, no matter how this plays out, no matter whether Cersei goes full-on Mad Queen or whether she plays it more as a politician, more Machiavellian, the Dornish army is just gone. They're just out. They're not involved. And that makes a lot of sense. A, because like what we said, they want to get rid of them. They screwed it up. Let's just get rid of them. Don't worry about it. Just push it off. Also, as Sean mentioned yesterday in our show only, if they use, if they have to bring the Dornish army into this on screen, that's a whole nother army of costumes, and <laughs> that's just a whole nother big yeah. budget thing. So, I totally understand why they just like, well, we can't have every. They're already going to have Unsullied, Dothraki, Reachmen, you know, different types of Reachmen, Tarly soldiers. You got whites, you got white walkers. Yeah, I can understand why they don't want to also have a big Dornish army in there. So. I, I'm gonna guess that Cersei doesn't marry Euron. I don't. I haven't been spoiled at all. I'm gonna guess that she's like, nah. She's gonna f- find a way to keep mm-hmm. him at arm's length. Because, I mean, you wouldn't. Would you trust him? <laughs> no, I think she'll find a way to weasel out of it if she can too. Yeah. <laughs> so here's a funny little thing. You know, we mentioned the the inside the episode, but here's another little tidbit from outside. Apparently, Pilu Azbek, who is very funny in that... That's Euron. That's Euron. In um, in that behind-the-scenes thing. He's really funny. Very charismatic guy. He apparently was a nanny to Nikolai Coster-Waldo's kids at one point. (laughs) From nanny to 
pirate, you know, crazy pirate captain. They're both Danish. So I guess um, I guess Denmark's even smaller than we thought. <laughs> Small world there. Are those kids suffering from PTSD by now? <laughs> <laughs> That's an under... Yeah, Jamie wasn't acting. Nikolai wasn't acting in that scene. He was like, hmm, you really shouldn't trust this guy. You know what he did to my kids? <laughs> my real kids? You know. So, okay, let's talk about Theon. This was the maybe the biggest part of all this. The uh, First of all, Alfie's acting so good. Um, but one of the things that may have triggered him here at the end is the seeing the cutting, the maiming of bodies around him as the Ironborn kind of looted people by cutting off earrings and cutting out gold teeth. I didn't see any tongue cutting here. People were saying tongue cutting was happening. I went back and looked very carefully. I just didn't see it. I didn't see tongue cutting. I saw other stuff. Did you guys see tongue cutting? No, same. I thought it was ears and teeth, which is looting for gold, isn't it? Yeah. But it has the same effect on Theon either way, right? So, uh, Yoke Boy, tell us what you thought about this really powerful scene here. Okay, so, and a lot of people are thinking this now, you know, on reflection. Theon's apparent cowardice with Yara and not trying to save her and this avoid capture really speaks to his PTSD and his psychological wounds as reek. I really hope there's a heroic act left in Theon, but this really wasn't the time for it. The writers did well to kind of portray a truly damaged individual suddenly having to, you know, confront his deep fears. A lot of people who suffer traumas are damaged for life and are cursed with ongoing frailty. And I think that was articulated very well by Alfie and, you know, whoever was behind the writing as well. Despite cursing him initially, which I'm sure, uh, you know, a lot of the audience did, I think really Theon is worth some sympathy here and that's what they're getting at. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Any other takes on that? Did you, did you anyone um, have any different kind of looks at it? No, I, I agree. I think we, we probably all agree. Tremendous acting by Alfie Allen. I uh, really saw the shame in his struggle on his face. Um, one thing that struck me is as much as we've kind of pointed this out before that Euron is the new and improved Ramsey, as in the same way that mm. Ramsey was the new and improved Joffrey. Well, imagine being Theon now confronted by this trigger. <laughs> I mean, he's seeing yeah. this as the new and improved Ramsey too. So yes. um, just put yourself in that place and and really difficult position for him we saw theon jump in what to what looked like certain death um to save his foster sister at the end of season five and i thought there was a sort of a parallel here um to that scene where he jumped away from saving his real sister this time it was a kind of tragic inversion um so i personally hope he's going to survive and he's going to make it back to dragonstone yeah, I thought this was, I mean, a really fantastic sequence in general. And I think it started even in that uh, Yalaria scene where I was watching it and I was enjoying the chemistry between the two characters. I was laughing at Ilaria's ridiculous come-ons. But at the same time, I was noticing how uncomfortable Theon was. And it wasn't just this, oh, my sister's being sexual and uncomfortableness. No, I think that was very similar to the sort of things that Theon would have been through with Ramsay in terms of, you know, teasing him and being very, you know, voyeuristic about things and making him watch. And Ilaria is very on the nose with that and I mean just Alaria just just so 
awful sometimes and brutal and revenge-filled. And I think she also reminded me of Ramsey in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so I think Theon was already on edge in that moment. I think he would have been triggered regardless what happened, but I think he was already, uh, you know, off to a rough start there. Yeah, the the burden. Yeah, the burden that, uh, sorry, but that Yara put on him when she called him her protector in that scene. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. He didn't look like he was happy with that. It was a strong, yeah, Yeah. strong parallel, like Laria holding on, you know, kind of jokingly to, you know, Yara. And then a minute later, you're on. Foreign invasion. Yeah, foreign or, yeah, different foreign invasion. (laughs) Well, I guess it wasn't foreign. You're on and Yara are both ironborn. (laughs) Could have been foreign if you're on's crew was uh, more diverse. (laughs) (laughs) What's next for Theon, Yoke Boy? Okay, so I I, I am a, like spoiler sensitive, so I, I haven't like read up. But you know what I'd like is is for Theon now to join the Night's Watch as Meister Lewin advised him to all that time ago, because it would keep mm. him in the story. If you you know if Yara's a goner, what's Theon got left? It would be it would be nice to see him. You, you know, placed in the story where he can be involved and interact with other characters and be absolved of his sins, as, you know, perhaps he should have done in season two. Right on. We have both Throne and uh, Twitter user MILFBuster are suggesting that... MILFBuster. They are suggesting that... MILFBuster 1. MILFBuster 1, excuse oh. me. Not the second or third one, the original. Yeah. Could go. It's this, this is crackpotty, but I think it's a clever idea, even though I don't think it's going to happen. I like. I just think it's fun to think about... They could go patch face or air on damp hair with Theon here. He could stick him in the water for a while. And I think patch face, they're not going to do patch face, but it's a cool thought. But Aaron, you know, Aaron was dramatically changed by sticking in the water for a while. Maybe, you know, maybe something will happen to Theon. Um, By the way, I, I just I've seen a lot of jokes about this, but it really was what my instant reaction was. As much as it seemed would be really weird and bizarre for them to do this, I just wanted Gendry to throw up <laughs> and save Theon. I'll repeat my yeah. earlier joke: Blackwater Baywatch. Yes, do your yeah, job, Gendry's, Blackwater Gendry's Baywatch. Gendry's got the looks for it. <laughs> That's right, he does. He's, That's he does. the new spinoff. <laughs> got everything they love: drama, hot bodies. You know. That's totally. Yeah, they shouldn't do this other show they're talking about doing they should do blackwater baywatch <laughs> i'd love to see uh theon and gendry have one oar each and you know ride off into the sunset on their boat <laughs> lord of the chicken dance asks let's assume the entire fleet yara slash theon side was destroyed by yara which it definitely appears it was like at one point yara gazes out over the ocean and is like holy crap this is not just my ship it's all of our ships are just torched and destroyed you think so i didn't think so i didn't see like any dornish sails oh or i mean they're half of the iron fleet yeah. oh okay yeah i was i was thinking we definitely still have tyrell and dornish and targaryen ships well maybe not dornish ships anymore that may, those yeah. may be off the table too yeah it is but that you're right and they the might tyrell be ships as well because yeah. olena may be usurped so she yeah. may really be well my thought was that when we see daenerys leave coming to westeros we see that they have the tyrell and martell ships with her so i don't know if they split off and have done other things or if they're still under her control under yeah her fair command. point this is one i also the... wonder who's leads the I guess, I guess yara was in charge of her ship she was like the master of ships i would assume yeah, and so, so someone has to take control of the ships now oh there's gendry's new motto <laughs> stephanie vale says oars is the fury it's the new gendry <laughs> yeah. that's really good nice yeah. <laughs> nice nice the so we don't really know this is one of those logistical questions that's pretty hard to handle because the show isn't consistent with logistics so we it's it's, that makes it difficult to make predictions 
Um, but I think the bottom line is is going to be maintained, which is that Daenerys's naval strength is severely reduced, and how they're going to they're going to better address this because yeah, she just lost a ton of ships, and now her plans have changed dramatically. She can no longer use the Dornish army to besiege King's Landing, so a different plan is needed, and we'll have to wait to see what that's going to be. All right, last few chances to get your questions in. We got a couple still. Almost uh, two and a half hours. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> And we have Casanova here, um, the cat. This is, uh, look at his eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, got in my, I got my hand wrapped around his throat. Yeah, you're, Cats uh, are funny. you're, you're giving Jon Snow to the cat there. No, this is a gentle neck holding. Yeah, he loves it. <laughs> Solid internet tactic. Bring on a cat and everyone loves it. Nice. Yeah. That's a, that is a true comment there. Yeah. <laughs> this is Casanova, Leslie, who asked the game of the cats. Yeah, this is, he's about, uh, he's about two and a half years old, this guy. So we've got a couple of miscellaneous questions and time for any others. If you can sneak them in, we're going to be wrapping it up here shortly. From Painkiller Jane, I wonder if you guys noticed that Sandor's speech to Beric was similar to Valar's speech about his father to Dunk. Now that's a deep cut, but I do think there's some comparison here. Here's the quote from Valar in uh, The Hedge Knight. My father was only nine and thirty. He had it in him to be a great king, the greatest since Aegon the Dragon. Why would the gods take him? And leave you. That is very similar. Back the question, like why, mm. why the, the mystery, how you know the mystery of how the gods work and how why mm. is it Derek? That's that's true. That's that's a good good comparison. Okay, so I guess we don't have any other burning questions here. So let's move to our worry of the week. Um, mine's still Olena. I, I had that for yesterday. I'm going to keep it there. So I'll let you guys weigh in on what yours are. Mine's Grey Worm. It's Olena too. Like I, I care most about Olena. I don't really think she's doomed this week though, for one. But I, I, I and I just, I had to say something different. But Grey Worm, I, I care more about him and I've ever cared about him in the past. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> also, because, is it really related to that uh, episode or anything? But I, I liked the actor who plays him more, Jacob Anderson. After I watched the Comic Con panel, panel, and he was like, they asked who you could bring if you could bring anyone back, who you bring back, and he was like Barristan. <laughs> I was just happy that he said that. I don't yeah. know. Bring back his buddy. <laughs> That's right. Also, I got I heard him. I, I've heard his music before. Raleigh Ritchie is his name, but I'd never heard uh, his talking voice. Yeah. And he his, he's good at his accent for Grey Worm. He's very it's very British, British sounding normally. Anyways, kudos to him for that's a hard role to pull off to be so stoic, but to have so so much emotion behind your eyes. So uh, Beth Peterson says, "What about a dragon on our worry it was zigzag?" Yes, the Rickon joke absolutely applies to these dragons. <laughs> um, I, what do you guys think about a dragon death? I think maybe eventually, but maybe not next week. Any takes on that? Uh, yeah, I'm definitely we said so earlier. Definitely concerned about a dragon death. And I just want to uh, give a shout out to uh, one Rob Dylan, who was our guest musician back on our which episode long was that? Night. Ninth episode? Oh, in the Fears for the Long Night, the episode we talked about earlier. Um, he predicted that the mountain would kill a dragon um, after seeing just season one of the show. So <laughs> we're all kind of cheering for that. <laughs> Sean actually issued a, offered a theory yesterday on how that might happen. The scorpion bolts could take a dragon out, of, uh, disable its wings, and then it would be on the ground. It wouldn't, and it wouldn't yes. be able to fly away. I think they well, should just go. put who... the mountain in the scorpion and shoot him at the dragon. <laughs> shoot him <laughs> right just there. Yeah. Launches through the air yeah. and hits the dragon and climbs on its back and just starts to, yeah, super mountain. <laughs> 
if it's you know remember Gregor this uh Rob Dylan was actually talking about Gregor and his horse and saw yeah. foreshadowing in there so if you're if there's anyone you're ever going to send to kill a dragon on the ground i guess that would the be mountain it. that flies <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe he'll ride a dragon right yeah. swizzle sticks two dollar uh, super chat thank you sir or yeah sir okay <laughs> did the mad king die before wait what did it before say before rhaegar or liana um no rhaegar died rhaegar died first then the mad king and then liana in that order. So no and yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Yoke Boy, what is your worry? We didn't uh, we didn't get that in yet. Okay, this is an out the out of the box worry. <laughs> I'm worried about all of those people who really didn't want Danny and John to get together. <laughs> because next week there is going to be some tensions in that room. <laughs> you know who you are. It all starts next. John week. John might no, not know he's a Targaryen, <laughs> but he's going to get certain urges. I guarantee it. <laughs> I don't think any of us here in this room, in this chat room, I don't know why I said that, are shippers. But okay, you guys not had really, to pick: no. John Janaris versus Jonsa. Oh God, who's who's who would you, would you <laughs> That's have a tough choice. Make you guys choose incest or incest? Oh, Which one? God. Cousins or aunts and uncles? I guess I'll go Janaris because I've been used to the other? idea a lot longer. Yeah. Because that's been around like since 1996, whereas John <laughs> Sansa, that's a lot more of a less recent. So I, both of them, I've had longer to get used to the idea of that one. What about John you guys? John and Arya, somewhat geek furious, says. They're even closer. <laughs> okay, what about you guys? You guys have an answer for me for this question? I think a pure Targaryen incest is far more palatable. All right. <laughs> Starks were into it. Even, even John's grandparents. Yes. Jaria. I like, like the names I like Jansa so. for a lot of reasons. Okay. I, I, think the, uh, I think John and Daenerys is more likely. Yeah, but I, I'll, I'll agree with I you. I prefer the other. <laughs> I agree with you. I think... I think John and Daenerys is more palatable because they don't know each other. They didn't grow up together. I think that's the issue yeah. with Jonsa, not that they're cousins or anything. Mm-hmm. But I think that I it makes a, it would make a lot of good sense from a, like a political standpoint. So <laughs> I, again, I know none of us are like into the shipping thing, but I, I had to know where we all stood. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Euron's into the shipping thing. He <laughs> he uh, shipped himself with Yara's ship, and yeah. they got together. <laughs> yeah, he rammed her. He's really yeah. aggressive, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's do our favorite scenes and episode rating. We didn't do the episode rating last week, so we got to make up for that. By, so we got to rate episode one and two as we do this. I'll start. Um, my favorite scene was the skulls, the dragons with all the history, and Cersei's power giving the touch of Kyburn letting her pull the trigger. I thought it was a really nice touch. Uh, so I'll go with that one, and I'll give episode one a slightly higher rating than episode two. I think I'll give episode one a nine. I'm going to give this one... I'm tempted to give an 8.5, but I'm uh, yeah, I think I'll go with an 8.25. So I'm going to go I'm going to go uh, go with that. What do you got? What do you think, Shea? I liked episode 1 more than episode 2. Uh episode 1 didn't have anything that I was like rabble rabble and irritating. Episode <laughs> 2 definitely had at least one thing which was the sand snake scene and probably a couple other things that I just I'm not thinking of. So that's how I tend to choose is is there something egregious that really irked me in this episode? Wasn't the case for episode one. Um, favorite scene from this episode. I, I really liked, honestly, that Daenerys Elena scene. And I really liked, uh, the scene with, uh, 
It's really hard to choose. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with just the Olena scene just because it was so, it seemed so natural for it to happen, but it was so honestly surprising to me that we got just a, a, a beat with them too. I didn't even mention the Vari scene. I like that, that whole sequence of their council. Mm. I mean, that's my answer. Okay. Okay. Uh, Lady Gwen, what do you got? Uh, yeah, it's really hard to choose because there's a, there's actually so many. There's Arya, Arya and Nymeria. I like the Theon just for Alfie's acting. Mm. Um, but the, um, I think I'm going to have to go with Arya and Hot Pie. Just overall the scene because I found it very poignant. Nice. And then, of course, at the end when she turned her horse north, I was very um, audibly excited by that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I'd have to give, I, I liked also episode one better. Um, I would give that pretty high marks, especially for a first episode. Um, this one lost like <laughs> some marks for the bad sand snakes, but then the sand snakes died. So <laughs> gained back a little bit. So they won't be talking anymore. Came... <laughs> no more, no more of that. So yeah, I don't know, eight eight point five mm-hmm. or so. Okay. Yeah. And yuck boy. By the way, just real oh. quick, people say like it's good the sand snakes died. Yada yada. I agree with them, but. I really hated the way that they died. Just Euron fucking Greyjoy <laughs> of all murdering people. them. I'm like, man, that's a slap in the face. Anyways, <laughs> that was bittersweet. Yeah, killing with their own weapons too. Like, jeez, with yeah, their own harsh. weapons. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> just this, these two tiny little women and Euron just bashes through. Okay. I tweeted out today, by the way, my birthday's November 25th. And if anyone's feeling generous, I want Euron's axe, the cracks and gimme. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I want Yoke that. Yoke boy, what about you? All right, I, I'll, I'll give the points to Aya and Nymeria. Cool. But I will say, I wish HBO hadn't have, you know, kind of kind of shown that it was going to happen. You know what yeah. I mean? They're kind of like giving a really cheap way to give away a really amazing surprise. So yeah. I can't imagine watching it. If you didn't know, you'd be like, whoa. <laughs> but still, I thought it was a, a really, really uh, good scene. I like that one. I'll give the episode uh, an eight. You know, pretty good, you know, by Game of Thrones standards, not the best, but, you know, by normal TV standards, I think it's a pretty good episode of TV. Do you like episode one more? Um, I would probably put them about the same, I think. Okay. Mm -hmm. So three out of four of us said episode one was better and you had them about the same. That's cool. It looks like most people in the chat box liked episode one more. So, um, well, whatever that means, that's just a little bit of trivia. (laughs) So, okay, well, let's wrap it up. Let me um, uh, issue some thanks. First of all, thanks to Radio Westeros. Thanks again for joining us, guys. Make sure to support their Patreon and check out their show on iTunes, on Google Play, and at RadioWesteros.com. Tell us about your most recent episodes. I think last week we mentioned your most recent episode. Maybe tell us about the one before that. Um, what have we got? We've got a, a good, this year we did a, a good two-parter on Rob Stark, two, two episodes. We go in tremendous depth about his, uh, you know, political ambitions and what went wrong and whose fault it was. Uh, and it's a long piece of character analysis. Come and give it a try. If you've never, you know, heard a Radio Westeros episode, come and find us on iTunes or YouTube. Go to RadioWesteros.com. Give us a subscribe and we'd really appreciate it. 
And you know, I mentioned that we have patrons only episodes. You guys have a patrons only episode too, at least one, right? It's just one at this point, right? The Varamir. Yeah, it's episode, just one. Is... It's it's on Varamir. It's uh, a look at that prologue and you know, skin changing and the, all the possibilities and all the the interesting lump story that you get in the fantastic Varamir prologue. Be our patron and and you know, at the entry level patronage, and and you can get access to that and more. Right on. We have L. Clarkino, 18, saying, I listen to Radio Westeros more than my wife. Okay. <laughs> That's high praise. More than his wife does? Or more than... No. Both. I get it. <laughs> Probably both. <laughs> Probably both. <laughs> also, a uh, shout out to Game of Owns for having a Shea on Sunday, just in general. Uh, mm-hmm. Game of Owns, good friends of ours. And to Rawrest for having me on on Sunday. Both of us guested on someone else's show yeah. on Sunday. I was extra stoked. Aziz is invited to be on things all the time, but mm. they they never invite me. This was a, a they're gonna have Sean on too. I don't feel so special because they're also inviting Sean, right but on. they wanted to get the non Aziz members. Yeah, Aziz, get me out of the way. You just I'm, got him everywhere. You guys heard me too much. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so also thanks to Michael Klarfeld for our video intro, which we have, have been using as the outro for the live episodes, and he made all these maps. The dude is. On, He's uh, making Iron skill. Islands maps right now, actually. Yes. Very fitting with this Iron Lord. Following him on social media pays off big time, but also go to his website, claradox.de. That's K-L-A-R-A-D-O-X dot D-E. So check him out. So you can get some of the things that we have for yourself. Also thanks to Joey Townsend for our intro music, Jesse Kowal for the cover of our outro music that we use, or cover of our intro music that we use for our outro. Also thanks to Azani for the... Uh, Maslow Cartho art. And one thing I've started just as of last episode is we're going to start giving a couple of shout-outs to patrons who don't have a regular shout-out just to get some of these other cool names mentioned. I like a lot of these names. And some of you guys have asked for shout-outs. This is a way that we can handle that. So first off, shout-out to Black-Eyed Lily. Shout-out to Sir Mark of House Price. The motto of the Price is Bright. Wielder of the Valyrian Seal Sword Kindness. Shea's favorite there. That is my Killing favorite. with kindness. That is actually my favorite sword name from Crusader Kings 2, where that can be your sword name, which is it's just so good. The only one that comes close is in uh, the books, Truth. <laughs> There's a Rogare that can strike people with truth. <laughs> Speaking of Crusader Kings, we have been working on, we haven't launched it yet, but we're figuring out how to do some uh, live streaming of some of the games, some of the Song of Ice Power games that we play. We can invite you all to Crusader watch. Kings and, 2 and Mountain Blade Warband, which we each play. Because my computer it can run these streams, so I guess it can run uh, gaming Yeah, streams. we're working on that, so we'll be announcing that. Um, it, may be not, it may not happen during the season because we're so busy during the season. But I anyway, want it to happen during the season. We'll see. We'll, we'll hopefully get it out. This is, this is a rare case of Aziz being more cautious than me. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm just so misaligned on when to say it'll take a while and when to say it'll be a little, uh, it'll be soon. Okay, also thanks to Nate the Barber of Oak and Shield and the Iron Victory on point name there. Not Newt the Barber, Nate the Barber. Yeah. <laughs> and thanks to, as well, our Hand of the King, the Mysterious BR, our Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog and Warden of the West. Lord George Stormsville the Cunning is Lord of the Chiliad, Warden of the East. Cabethian Frozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light, Defender of the Old Gods and Warden of the North. Lady Kelly McMath of Covington is Lady of the Villa Hills and Crescent Springs and Warden of the South. Kohokoi is Master of the Bow called Sun Piercer, of, uh, avenging those in need who have been dealt with injustice. 
The small council is made up of Lord James Inkblade, Scholar Knight, and Master of Whisperers. Grand Maester Saria of the Barrows is Cinder of the Citadel. Lord Robert Jacob is Master of Coin. Rosie the Clever is Master of Laws. Lord James Tuttle is Master of Ships. Lords and ladies in their castles include Lady Dyerless of Castle Miyaki, the Alpha Patron. Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell, Breaker of the Second Stone. I think we saw you in the chat there, buddy. Lord Skip of the Velt is Lord of Castle Ganges. Mary Meg is Lady of the Bloody Stepstones. Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Breadfort. We saw you today, too. Thanks, buddy. Alicia Everlasting of the Greenblood is Lady of Desert Rose. Lord Ryan is of Castle Stonegate and Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garen de Havilland is of Devil's Hand Keep. Ashlyn Winter is the Hawk's Eye and Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. The Lord of the Halls of Castle Hillcrest is wielder of the Valyrian Steel Machete Everglaze. Lord Alistair Whitaker is Lord of the Donald. Lord Bemmy Snugglebunny is guardian of the hidden Hundred Acre Werewood and holder of the Vorpal Snugglebunny. Lord Osborne is of Castle Werewood, spreading the old gods by planting werewood saplings in the Reach, Stormlands, and Crownlands. An appropriate motto, our roots run deep. Lord Brandon Brewer of Castle Brackloon is sworn alesmith to House Stark, Grand Maester of the Zippermantle Guild, and Keeper of the Bus. Lord Imriel is of House Jordain. Brian the Defender is Lord of the Spearfort and the Freelands, Last Scion of Clan McCulloch, Strength and Courage. The Bastard of Wolfswood is First Forester of the Old Gods, sworn to House Iron Werewood. Motto, listen for the silence. Our King's Justice is Sir Troy the Steady, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. Our King's Guard is commanded by Sir Christopher Dane of Starfall, Sentinel of the Torrentine. And last, but certainly never least, is the History of Westeros Night's Watch, commanded by Lord Commander Daenerys Flint of the Night Fort, avenging the memory of Danny, Brave Danny. <laughs> Sir, uh, rather, First Ranger Fabian Flowers is the Bash of Greenshield. First Builder Patchface is of Motley Wisdom. And First Steward Sir Jurian of the Torrentine is called Palewind. That does it for our patrons. That does it for our thanks. So thanks to everybody who came to join us live today. We really appreciate it. It really helps make the live episodes better. Most people just listen to it afterwards, but you all who come to participate, well, extra thanks to you. But thanks to anyone who listens to it, anyone who likes us on iTunes. Same goes for people who do the same for Radio Westeros. There's a lot of ways to support the show. It's not just patrons. It's not just by asking questions, spreading the word, giving us likes, upvotes, telling your friends. All those things. We appreciate them all. Thank you very much. We love our community. We'll be back on Saturday with uh, some predictions and theories about episode three. And back at our usual times next week. Actually, not our usual times. We're going to move this live stream. Instead of doing two nights in a row, which is pretty hectic, especially for getting everything edited, we're going to move this one to either Wednesday or Thursday. That may vary depending on the week. But that's more of what we did last year anyway, and it gives us a little more time to think things through and gives you all t- uh, a little break in between. So it gives you guys time to think about things more as well. That will uh, change the the, the, uh, the type of questions we get as well. So, so good. submit your questions so that we can actually get them in. I like reading them in the live chat, but it is like a 2% chance that your questions actually get chosen. <laughs> yeah, it is hard. It is really hard. Yes, and that also, by the way, Beth Peterson says, Yoke Boy needs to talk more. We, 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 we tend to agree, but the, far, the more moving this stream to Wednesday will give us more time to prepare. It will allow him to write in more but also i gotta mention his internet he's in england and it's a little hard it's harder for him to jump in because he's on a slight delay so i just wanted to say that we're not pushing him off to the side it's a there's a technical reason a logistical reason for and unlike game of thrones we explain our logistical reasons (laughs) (laughs) it's true but you know i i do have uh i do have the best words 
(laughs) (laughs) The best words, bigly. (laughs) And the best accent, too. (laughs) Oh, of course. Yes, so... Well, anyway. The best bedtime. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, that's another thing. He's up late, you know. <laughs> anyway, thanks, guys. We appreciate it all. We'll be back soon. And Valar reread us. Valar rewatch us. And see you next time.